one of the things that, um, that we uh, are really excited about actually as a ministry is continuing to pray for and work with uh, our friends who are in Calgary. Uh, I was actually just chatting with Nino um, just this past week. Uh, and he was talking about just like all that the Lord is doing there. Uh, and it's pretty exciting stuff. So um, one of the things with that, uh, I know I mentioned this in our, uh, in our gathering a couple of minutes ago, uh, that Aaron is beginning to like learn a couple of songs. Because right now Nino is both leading worship and then preaching. So it's kind of a weird thing to like put down your guitar and then pick up your Bible and be like, all right, let's get to it. Uh, and so uh, what's one of the things that Aaron is kind of getting tooled up in and has been the last couple of months? And so um, he did a great job of leading a song uh, or two. Did you do two for us? Just one at men's retreat? Um, and uh, as he's kind of beginning to prep and learn a lot of songs they are going to be doing at Knox, um, I was like, man, would you, would you actually do that at our member meeting? That would be sweet. Uh, and he's like, yeah. So um, he's going to be leading a song for us here in a minute. Uh, and so I just wanted us to take a moment to pray for Knox. Uh, and then Aaron will come lead us in a song, and, uh, and then we'll do the rest of our meeting and stuff. So um, also feel free. Uh, I know kiddos are going to be like in here with us yelling, screaming. That's great. Um, it's just like we're in my living room, but a bigger living room. So uh, let's pray uh, for Knox, and then, uh, and then we'll sing a song together, uh, which actually is a really fitting song. I almost sang it today uh, after Chris's sermon. Uh, and Chris is probably wondering why I didn't sing this song. And it's because Aaron had said, I want to sing this song in our member meeting. So I was like, ah, great. Uh, so, <laughs> so I was like, I didn't get to sing it, uh, but we'll get to. So praise the Lord, uh, sovereign Lord. So let's pray. And then, uh, and then they will lead us in some music. Uh, is Mark, Mark playing with you too? Sweet. All right, let's pray. So Father, I want to thank you for Knox. Thank you for what you're doing in Calgary. I pray your continued uh, sustaining grace and blessing on them as a ministry. I pray your grace on Aaron as well. So he's prepping and, and continuing to hone some skills and seeking to be a blessing into the life and ministry of Knox. And so even as we just gather, we're reminded, God, that, that our aim and purpose as a church is to be one that equips men and women for good works of ministry. That will lead some of them uh, to go and join other churches and plant other things. And may that just be a constant rhythm and a great joy of ours, knowing that... Um, whether it's through learning cohort or our preacher's cohort or internships or apprenticeships or whatever that we're able to just help equip uh, men and women for gospel ministry. So I uh, just pray now as we enter into this time, just uh, membership chats and talks, God, that you would be with us just in a special way as, as members. We love you and we ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. One of the things that we like to do at the beginning of all of our members meetings, if this is one of your first times with us, uh, I hope and pray this won't be like, you remember, you ever gone to one of your friends, friends' houses? Remember your, maybe some of you are kids or teenagers, or maybe when you were a kid, and all of a sudden they had a family discussion at the dinner table and you were there for it, and you were like, why am I here? <laughs> I pray this is not like that for you, uh, but rather, if this is one of your first times with us, that you just feel and see and sense uh, the Lord's work at, uh, in, in us and in, in our midst as a church. Um, one of the things that we love to do every time we get together is think through um, what does it mean for us to partner together in a relationship as a church? And so what we love doing is to read through uh, bits of our covenant together as uh, members. 
And so uh, if you remember that document, if you haven't read it in a while, some of you have because you signed it recently. Hopefully you read it again. Uh, if not, you're like, yeah, I mean, I'm all in. Uh, I just want to remind you of, uh, of what are some of our expectations uh, of our members. Uh, and then what does the commitment from the pastors to our members and then our members one to another, what does this look like? This is a great reminder that we always do when we gather together as members. And uh, so as we're thinking through what is the expectations of a member in that book, we list out four things. Uh, the first is uh, attending our gatherings as a church. So when we gather together weekly, uh, part of that is attending those gatherings. We know and believe as, as a church that the primary means of discipleship is our Sunday sermon. That's how the saints of old have always been equipped and discipled as God's people, as we gather under God's word as his people. And it's through that gathering and hearing the preached word of God where our hearts are just laid bare by the Spirit's work in our midst, where we're convicted of sin, convinced of the truth of the gospel. And so uh, that's one of the things that we commit to doing. Secondly, is to participating in ongoing discipleship relationships. Now that looks different depending on what age and age you're at. For example, if you have a brand new baby at home and life's a little crazy, uh, it probably won't look like you're meeting at 6.30 a.m. at McDonald's uh, once a week uh, in discipleship relationships. But it does mean that we as God's people are striving to find ways that we are seeking to do spiritual good to one another as members, that we're seeking with all of our might to be known and to know others, to share and confess sin so we can be prayed for and to uh, have men and women that we can go to and talk with and open our lives to that can know us, really know us. You know, on a Sunday, the, the deepest that we can usually go with folks is, hey, I really love your haircut. Or man, that's a great shirt you're wearing. You know, oftentimes it's hard to go much deeper than that on a Sunday, unless you're in constant community with those folks. If you know them a bit more, you know some things they're struggling through and things they're walking through. The beauty of Christian community is found in when someone starts singing a line of a song and you see them praising God in the midst of suffering, when you see them worshiping and knowing God as he, we walk through his words, as you hear their kids scream and you get to know them, you know whose screams are whose and it's beautiful. Uh, but also as we see saints uh, in the sermon that we know and hear things that we're like, man, how, how are you dealing with that? Was there comfort for you as we examined that text today on Christ as the good shepherd? For example, I know if that's something that you've been struggling through is knowing that God loves you. How are you doing with that, right? So, so as we know one another better in community, we're able to actually to disciple one another very well. Thirdly, we seek ways to share our life in the gospel with others. Um, fourthly, we use our gifts as we just saw Aaron do. And then we try to find ways that we can be and are gifted by God to be a blessing to the church around us. Now, uh, we then see and are reminded every time we gather as members of the commitment to the members from us as pastors. Uh, and here are uh, the things that we as pastors commit to doing. Firstly, to appointing pastors and deacons, including staff members who serve in these offices, according to the criteria assigned to them in scriptures. Secondly, to prayerfully seek God's will for our church community and steward resources to the best of our ability based on our study of the scriptures and following of the spirit. Thirdly, to care for the church and seek her growth in grace, truth, and love. Fourthly, to provide teaching and counsel from the whole of Scripture. Fifthly, to equip the members of our church for the work of ministry. Sixth, to be on guard against false teachers and teachings, as we learned today from John 10. Uh, then to lovingly exercise discipline when necessary for the glory of God and the good of the one disciplined and the health of the church as a whole. And then we are committed to setting an example for our members and joining members and fulfilling the obligations of church membership to one another. 
So that is what we as pastors commit to our members of our church. And then secondly, we see what is our commitment as church members to one another? Now, I always highlight this because it's very important. It's not as if we as pastors, we say, hey, we're committing this to you. So what are you committing to us? That's not what we are doing here. Rather, we commit to these things to you. And then what do we as members, what do we commit to one another as members? This is where Matt and I are simply just members of our church along with you. So we commit to submit to the authority of the scriptures as the final arbiter on all issues. Secondly, to pursue the Lord Jesus through regular Bible reading, prayer, and fellowship. To follow the command and example of Jesus by participating in the ordinances, by being baptized after our conversion, and by regularly remembering and celebrating the person and work of Christ through communion. Bless you. Uh, to regularly participate in the life of the Trails Church by attending weekly gatherings, engaging in gospel-centered community, and serving those within and outside of our church. To stewarding the resources God has given us, including time, talents, spiritual gifts, and finances, which includes regular financial giving, service, and participation in community that is sacrificial, cheerful, and voluntary. And by God's grace, through the power of the Spirit, to walk in holiness in all areas of life as an act of worship to Jesus. And then we have this end phrase that says, Christians should also strive to put certain attitudes and actions to death while stirring and stimulating love and good deeds through the Spirit. So we commit to, as a church, what do we commit to? We commit to refraining from activities that Scripture would deem foolish, to taking seriously the responsibility of Christian freedom, especially actions or situations that could present a stumbling block to another, by submitting to the discipline of God through His Holy Spirit, by following biblical procedures for church discipline where sin is evident in another, the hope of which being restoration and repentance, and receiving righteous and loving discipline when approached biblically by fellow believers. And then to do the following when we sin, to confess our sin to God and to fellow believers and to repent and seek to help put my sin to death with the help of others. We also submit to our pastors, me included. I submit to Matt as my pastor. As far as they are submitting to God's word and upholding our statement of faith and diligently striving for unity and peace within the church. And then to do one of the following, should we leave the church for righteous reasons? Uh, one, if you're in some kind of a, a group to notify that group leader and the pastors, and then to faithfully seek out another church, which I can carry out my biblical responsibilities as a believer. Now we have that last little section in there because we realize that if for the next 30 to 40 years, 33 to 40 years, uh, that that I will, Lord willing, be here. Uh, and then when I'm around 70, Lord willing, I'll head to warmer climates for my terrible feet, especially during the winter. Maybe not for forever, but during winter for sure. Uh, I'll be one of those snowbirds in my 70s uh, so that my body doesn't revolt against itself so terribly every winter, uh, if God permits. Uh, and, and as I do so, I will strive to find a biblically faithful church where I can partner with as a member. And we hope that for every single one of us, knowing that you may be part of our church for a season and then God might call you somewhere else. God might call you to help plant a church. God might call you overseas as a missionary to, I don't know, Japan or somewhere. And so as God does that in your life, our hope and prayer for you is that you might find then a local church where you can connect to and then be a faithful church member. Uh, so we'd love to read those. Just be reminded of what actually binds us together. What are the uh, responsibilities of membership as we have it as a church, and then to remind and call one another to hold one another accountable to upholding our statement of faith, to living out what we are called to as God's people as a church.
Now, one of the other things that we always love doing is welcoming new members into the life of our church. These are men and women who say, hey, I want to follow and love Jesus alongside of you. As far as I can tell, I think that you are a faithful, Bible-preaching, Jesus-loving church. And then we as a church say, hey, as far as we can tell, we think that you are a genuine Christian who's repented of sin, trusted and believed upon Jesus. We examined your life. We don't, you're not like a black tar heroin dealer, so we think that you do, think that you're loving Jesus, not living in opposition to his word, uh, and so welcome in uh, as a member. And, uh, and then, uh, usually on Sundays, though, we do that at the end of our gatherings, and we don't have a lot of time to hear testimonies of those who have come to know, uh, come to be a part of our church. And so one of the things uh, that we thought that would be really helpful is actually adding, we, we, had, we had already added in some testimonies into this time together as a church, uh, as per Matt's recommendation, because he's a brilliant man. Uh, and we thought that it would be great to have uh, actually the Bergmans, Mike and Angela, uh, this time uh, share their testimonies with us. Uh, so Mike, is it okay if you go first? All right, so Mike will go first. Uh, and then after him, Angela, you come up right after him. And, uh, and they're gonna share uh, their testimonies with us. Uh, and, uh, and then we can be encouraged by that. Oh yeah, you, no, no, use this, brother. Yeah, use this. Go on, man. Yeah, and if the Lord ever has you here in the future preaching, then you're used to it. Hello, everyone. Just want to look first to see instead of who's all here. Um, it took 24 years for me to be convinced that I needed to be a part of a local church. I was baptized upon my confession of faith into a local church membership at the age of 15. By age 26, I did not see the point of local church membership. Now, at 49, God did the convincing that I needed to be a member of the local church. I met with Pastor Matt last September to chat about local church membership. The night before we met, I wrote out all my thoughts and experiences of the local church. And the two main takeaways were, one, in order, to me, in order for me to be obedient to God, I needed to join the local church. And number two, <clears throat> I had a lot of pride and needed to confess it to God. For me, the, the gospel is what convinced me as to why it was necessary for me to join the local church of trails. I needed to be part of the local church, joining with other Christians, submitting to God, to his word, to those, who, those placed in authority in the church, to be disciplined and only will do these things because the gospel is what unites us makes us one is, and is our foundation. It is important that you know that I believe the gospel, that I believe the good news of Jesus Christ, that his death, burial, and resurrection, according to the scriptures, was to pay the penalty for my sins and for yours, take the wrath that we deserve, being redeemed by Jesus Christ, saved to be with God eternally in his dwelling someday, to be in his glory. I need to be reminded every day of the gospel that it is only because of God's grace and mercy that I, that we are saved by Christ, the living hope. The best way that I can show my love to the church is to be part of the local church, loving God and loving my brothers and sisters in Christ that I may have fellowship with on Sunday and hopefully other days of the week and days to come. Those of you who I know by name, I pray for you. Those of you I do not know, I want to know you too, so that I may pray for you as you minister where God has placed you. A brief history. 
Angela and I were married May 23rd, 1998. Our wedding verse was, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. James 1 verse 17. We have five children, Caleb, our firstborn, being born in 2001, then Joshua, then two miscarriages, Andrew, Natalie, and then Wyatt. We pray for all of our children, especially, <clears throat> especially Joshua, that he would live for God. Our marriage is not perfect, nor are our lives. Striving for perfection is not the aim. Desiring and delighting in God is. Angela and I went for marriage counseling in 2016, and one result is going on a weekly date. Doing nothing would have shown indifference. That is where the gospel again comes into play. The gospel of God. 1 John 4 verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's my salvation story. On Friday, December 3rd, 1982, to be more precise, when I was eight years old, I realized that all the good things, or at least what I thought was good, did not or could not take my guilt or my sin away. My good works could not cancel my sin. When I asked my parents what I needed to do to get to heaven, they shared these two verses with me. 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Revelation 3 verse 20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door and lets me in, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I prayed telling God that I had sinned against him, asking for his forgiveness and asking Jesus to come into my heart. One of my favorite verses is Colossians 2, verse 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made us alive with Christ. He forgave us our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was opposed to us and stood against us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And every time on Sunday during worship, I can't help but gaze at the cross and thanking God for all that he has done for us. A verse that has become very important to me in the last year is 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, which reads, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is a verse that I recite when I do not know what else to say when sharing the gospel. It is also a verse that is on the wall at the entrance of my store, so as to be clearly seen when people walk in. I ask God for understanding, wisdom, and right judgment as I continue to read and study the Bible. I ask God to teach me how to love Angela as Christ loved the church. I listen to sermons or videos that exposit the Bible. I'm part of the Trails cohort class, reading and doing the assignments. And uh, going off script here, uh, I would also recommend everyone read Show Me Jesus, um, and especially chapter 9, because as much as it's uh, about sharing Christ, how, how we can bring up Jesus Christ, and how it's also what's going on in our own hearts, and the sin that's in, in us, 
and what's on the surface, but also where is our unbelief. And for me, that, um, and with Angela, she'll share a bit too, but uh, what she's going uh, with biblical counseling, uh, we can't just focus on the surface and what's going on underneath. So show me Jesus. Please pick that up if you haven't picked that up and read it yet. Um, I like to hear what others are learning in their Bible study too. I thank God for his grace, mercy, and patience with me. I also thank God for the sanctifying work that he continues to do. All praise to God. Good afternoon. I was fortunate to have Christian parents who brought me to church since the day I was born, or approximately. That said, I attended Mennonite churches, and in recent years, I've become aware that my Mennonite upbringing didn't teach a clear biblical view of God or the gospel. I was also influenced by word of faith teachings when my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer when I was 19 years old. An acquaintance showed up on our doorstep with teachings from a well-known church, and the basic message was, if we had enough faith, my mom would be healed. My mom died eight months later, and sadly, this wrong thinking negatively affected my view of God for many years. From a very young age, I've considered myself a Christian, so I've always believed I'd seen my mom again in heaven, but I struggled to believe that God was good or loving. Looking back, my so-called faith in God was mere fire insurance. Fourteen months after my mom died, I met Mike on a blind date. We were married less than a year later. We've attended several different churches during our 25 years together. During the summer of 2017, my son Andrew and I took a Bible storytelling workshop at Elmwood MB Church. That's when I first heard that Jesus was the hero of every single Bible story. Although I wish that I had been taught this as a child rather than the behavior-focused moralism I'd been raised on, I've come to believe and trust that in God's providence, he wisely works all things according to his perfectly timed plan. I was ready to learn this, and like a dehydrated plant in the desert, I relished learning this simple yet profound fact. In the preceding months, my life had become increasingly difficult with events leading up to my dad's dementia diagnosis, and one of my children beginning to make choices that left me feeling disappointed and helpless. Again, hindsight helps me see what I didn't see then. My identity was wrapped up in my role as a mother and daughter, not as a child of God. I desired well-behaved kids and a comfortable life without sickness and disease rather than God, and that's not surprising considering I had a low view of God. However, my theology didn't change overnight. When COVID became a thing and I was stuck at home with all five of my kids, I once again found myself wallowing in self-pity. Although I'd found a couple of good biblical resources by then, I craved more, but I wasn't sure who to trust in the online world because that's where most of us were in the spring of 2020, online. Mike told me that Miller College of the Bible was coming to Winnipeg, and even though I didn't know anything about the school, I immediately registered for all three first-year evening courses. I've now taken 10 evening courses at Miller, two with Pastor Matt, the best teacher. 
Um, yeah, so those 10 evening courses, rather than quenching my thirst for learning about God, it's only ignited my passion. I signed up to take the Level 1 Biblical Counseling Certification through Gospel Care Collective last summer, and that's what I'm currently working on while also homeschooling Natalie and Wyatt. Although I've enjoyed everything I've learned, it has been incredibly challenging. This course has helped me see my heart, and at times I feel nearly paralyzed to realize how unrighteous I am. It's a constant battle to dethrone myself and let Christ rule my heart. Fortunately, my studies also continually remind me of God's overwhelmingly abundant grace and love poured out and into me, his adopted child. I initially applied for church membership because it was a requirement for taking the biblical counseling training. Also, I was submitting to my husband, make that known. <laughs> Interestingly, my first assignment for biblical counseling was to watch a Paul Tripp seminar called Your Walk with God is a Community Project. In it, Paul Tripp explains how we all need to be reminded of the gospel on a regular, if not daily, basis. This is how Tripp explains the importance of Christian community, and it's a bit of a mouthful. God has called us to intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive relationships. I see now that on the days we find ourselves drowning in our struggles, we need others to come alongside us to remind us of what God's doing during our difficulties. There are days when we pridefully think we can make it on our own. Then we need others to gently and lovingly remind us of our most pressing need, Jesus. And then there are times when our sinfulness overwhelms us and we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to remind us that our Father in heaven has lavishly given us everything we need for life and godliness, not just in the future, but for the here and now. You might think, well, this sounds great, but to an introvert struggling with pride and self-righteousness, this sounds terrifying. <laughs> Opening up to others involves tremendous risk, and not just to introverts. The risk of being judged, the risk of being misunderstood. And yet this is what calls us to do. It's a call to grace. He already knows our deepest, darkest thoughts and our ugly, selfish desires. And yet, knowing all that, he still sent his only son while we were still his enemies, while we were still ignorantly obsessed with the world and our flesh, and took our sin upon himself to the cross in order that God could look upon us like his own son, the only truly perfect one. When I consider how much grace he's given and still giving me, I realize that I have the duty and privilege to extend that same grace to others. If I can't do that in the church, the bride of Christ, how can I even call myself a child of God? Church membership means much more to me now than it did last summer when I applied, and I look forward to growing and maturing in Christ together with you, my brothers and sisters here at Trails. And um, I was talking to Teresa before this, and I said, like, a, um, a testimony needs scripture, right? Like, it does, but I don't have any. And, but there are two verses that immediately came to my mind. Um, one that's become super meaningful during biblical counseling is 2 Peter 1 verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that, that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And Ephesians verse 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Thank you both. I uh, am very thankful to have you both as members of our church, and uh, it's a joy to know you. Uh, one of the things that we also give out to every one of our uh, members is this little book called What is a Healthy Church Member? Uh, we do so uh, because we realize that our role as pastors is to ensure, one, that you are uh, healthy, growing in your relationship with Christ. Uh, and so we hope this will be a blessing to you. Um, and then about, uh, oh, was it two years ago when we started kind of going through little snippets of this book? Two and a half years ago? I don't know. Life got crazy. And so we were chatting the other day at one of our elders meetings. I was like, I think, I think we should come back to uh, some things from this book that when we gather as members, we can be reminded of a couple of things um, as we walk through. And so one thing that I uh, wanted us to think through is uh, the question that we, we probably all ask as members of our church is this, how can we contribute to the positive health of our church? Do I have that as, uh, on there, Johnny? Is that, that might be one of the first things. Oh, that's the same question, actually. Uh, how do we be a healthy member of the church? And how do we contribute to the positive health of our church? As we're trying to think through uh, how, do, how does a church healthy, we uh, realize that the first thing that needs to be healthy for a church to be healthy is we're talking about us, right? Here's the door, here's the people, open up, there's all the people. So uh, if we are healthy, then this will be healthy. If we are unhealthy, then this will be unhealthy. And so our, our aim is that we would be healthy. Uh, so healthy churches, and this is important, they're not produced by really healthy preaching. Uh, they, they aren't produced by ministry programs like youth or Trails Kids or things like that. Rather, as we read in this book, the health of a local church depends on the willingness of its members to inspect our hearts, to correct our thinking, and then to apply our hands to the work of ministry, which means that our church will be healthy as we as members strive for personal health and then corporate health as a church. And there are various things that we do uh, that are all mentioned in this book, but one of the ones I want us to focus on today is uh, what we call expositional listening, Expositional listening. So just as our sermons are preached expositionally, where, uh, where we are either kind of walking like passage by passage like we have in the book of John or like Matt did through Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 6 the other week, uh, both of those are examples of expositional preaching. So when you think expositional preaching, I don't want you to think we just walk through books of the Bible together. You can walk through a book of the Bible and not do expositional preaching. You can come with what you think is happening here, and then it's called eisegesis, where you bring ideas to the text and say, this is what this is really all about, instead of saying, what is this text itself saying? So when we're talking about expositional preaching, we don't mean this just preaches chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Rather, what we mean in that is that whatever the text is saying, the main argument of the text, that is what we as preachers strive to hold up to you, to show you how we've exegeted, we've seen these things from the text so that you can learn how to see these things in the text as well. That's why oftentimes our sermons could be rather boring. You're like, I could have said that myself. 
And that's kind of the point. Uh, is, well, yeah, actually, we're looking, mining, what does this say? And then, okay, so this is what this means. This is how this points to, relates to Christ, and this is now how we live. All of our sermons basically are that, rinse and repeat in different texts of God's word, is there's different things we need to see about the character and nature of God, different commands we see, ways we should live out our faith. And so the two main things that we see in expositional preaching is that the main point of the text uh, is uh, the main aim and desire of what we're preaching and teaching from that text and the argumentation of the text as well. Sometimes the, the author of a text might be arguing for a certain thing and that is the aim of what they're striving to see happen in your life. And so uh, as we're reading through, the, that's, that's the intention of expositional preaching. So how you then... And how I, even today, as I'm sitting right here and I'm listening to Chris's sermon, we as members can be listening in a way that is healthy or unhealthy. And so uh, as this chapter points out, uh, healthy members are those who listen in a particular way to the word of God as is preached and studied. And they let God set the agenda by seeking always to hear the true meaning of the text so they can apply it into their lives. So to put that together, expositional preaching is listening to the listening for the meaning of the passage of Scripture, accepting that while testing it, and then accepting that is the main idea here to be grasped, and then how do we then live personally, and how do we live corporately as a church? So I'm going to explore very quickly with you five benefits of expositional listening, five of them. So firstly, how does this kind of listening change us? Well, firstly, it cultivates a hunger for God's word. As we listen to God's word being preached week in and week out, we grow accustomed to hearing what God is trying to say in his word, and his voice becomes clearer and clearer. If we don't know God's word, and if we're not listening to it during the week, we will not hear God's word through his text. We will not hear the shepherd's voice in the voice of the preacher. We will hear something else if we're not used to the shepherd's voice. And so as we see what the preacher is saying plainly from the text, because that's what the text clearly says, we also grow in our understanding and confidence in understanding the Bible for ourselves as Christians. And that's the goal of every expositional sermon. It clearly shows you the text and the text plainly means so that when you and I are then reading through the Bible, we can use that exact same methodology for you and I to understand Scripture. And we get better and better at that as God's people, as we walk through listening, uh, knowing God's word expositionally and then studying it expositionally, right? So as we understand a text and then understand the context and understand how it points to Jesus, and then we understand how we then apply that into our lives, as we begin doing that in our daily Bible reading, in our daily small group discussions, in our daily uh, family devotions, then when we gather together under God's word, we understand the rhythm of this and actually can have a great benefit of knowing God's word. And we're also able to push back on things that are not God's word, which is very important. As members of the church, you are responsible for the theology of the church to ensure that it's upholding our statement of faith. And if it is not, then you should be saying, foul, that's not true. Right, so, so that's the aim of us as Christians. This is how a church actually is prevented from doctrinal error is as we, as God's people, know God's word, know how to study God's word, and we know how to hear God's voice in God's word, then when we hear something that's not God's voice from God's word, we say, oh, no, that's not right. That doesn't match the Bible. Uh, and then we're able to hold God's people accountable. Secondly, expositional listening helps us focus on God's will and to follow him. This one is shorter. The preacher's agenda in expositional preaching becomes secondary, and uh, God's word becomes uh, the center stage. Uh, we saw that, for example, or we will actually next week in John 10, 27, that as we're listening to the voice of Jesus, we see it in his word, as we heard earlier today. 
Thirdly, expositional listening protects the gospel and our lives from corruption. Um, the, the failure to listen expositionally has disastrous effects. As Chris mentioned earlier today, false teachers can enter the church and hinder the gospel. Ultimately, the truth then becomes displaced by myths and falsehoods. And so where the members cultivate the habit of expositional listening, we guard ourselves against an itching ear and also against the gospel being corrupted. So listening expositionally helps safeguard the true gospel from being corroded over time. And we are responsibly being able to help protect the theology of our church. So if we start to preach in a way uh, and go away from the main points of the text and we don't point to Jesus at all, you should be highly concerned. There should be something weird in that. Uh, and, uh, but if you're listening, however, to be entertained or maybe you're not listening with discerning ears, what happens is it's very easy for false teachers to come in as preachers or Bible study leaders and lead you astray after false gospels that are shaky and unstable ground. So we all have to be on guard and listen well. Which leads to the fourth point. Expositional listening uh, among a healthy church encourages pastors to be faithful. As I know you are listening expositionally to a sermon that I'm preaching, guess what I try to do? Make sure I get it right. You know what I mean? Like, if I know you're actually really listening, you're like, are you really expositing this text well? And I know you're gonna ask me like, questions afterwards, like, hey, Bubba, I don't think this means that. I'm like, oh, uh, oh uh. but if I'm just like, oh, I'm giving you like all sizzle and no steak, then I don't really care, you know? Uh, but if I'm like, no, I know you're listening and I know you're saying, can you show me that in God's word? And my answer is no. Then the question is like, well, then you shouldn't be preaching it because it's not in the Bible. You know what I mean? Um, and so uh, it makes me also more bold. It makes you more bold when we hear the Lord's voice and give evidence of being shaped by it. This happens, for example, when we go through the Bible and we read things and we're like, oh, God's word does say that. I was maybe a little uncertain about that. I think about today's text, for example. Are you following Jesus? Well, John 10, 1 to 21, two options are you're hearing his voice and following him or you're convinced he has a demon and he's insane. Which one is it? Do you think he has a demon and he's insane? Or do you love him or following his voice? This is kind of the two options, right? So it helps us actually pastorally know our own hearts of are we following after Jesus or not? So therefore, if you're a believer who's wondering or curious, man, am I really following Jesus? Well, what do you think about Jesus? Do you think he has a demon? Then you're not following him, you know what I mean? Uh, if, you're, if you're following him, you're obeying his voice. You're saying, how do I follow you and love you more? I'm trusting in you for my salvation. I'm trusting in your finished works in my place. You died and you rose from the dead for me. Then yes, praise God. So that's how God's word helps. Fifthly, expositional preaching uh, benefits the gathered congregation. Churches are consistently called to be unified and having a unified gospel uh, and intention creates this, right? Um, so John 17, um, 21 helps us see that, that we are united in understanding and purpose and the unity that we have testifies to the truth of the gospel. Uh, but if we listen to sermons with our own kind of interests and agendas in mind, if we develop private interpretations or idiosyncratic views, we risk shattering that unity and providing uh, disputes over doubtful matters and also weakening our corporate gospel witness. So you might be wondering then, uh, and if you want to learn anything more about that, there's th this book has more things to say on those five things, but there's uh, uh, how many of them? There's one, two, three, four, five, six very quick things uh, that it says then in the book that you can look on it a little bit more if you want to, but quick six points of how do you cultivate the habit of expositional listening. Uh, the first is uh, something that I know you, 
most of you do, especially if you're in or around a small group, uh, but you meditate on the sermon passage during the week prior in quiet times or study times. This is why we provide for you those little, uh, those little things to let you know where we're gonna be going in the upcoming week's text. Uh, when I printed those out, my brother, he heard that I was doing this and he said, you tell people where you're going like six months in advance? I was like, yeah, I want them to know where I'm going. He's like, you're brave. He's like, I don't know. He's like, I could change my mind. We can, I'm like, oh, I can't do that much text. I'm like, I don't know. We just say, this is how much we're doing. Uh, unless I get the stomach flu and then it puts us off for a couple of weeks, uh, then you'll kind of know where we're, where we're headed. Uh, and it's because we want you to be able to study the text beforehand, be able to talk about it, be in it. Uh, so that as my, uh, as my, how old is Teo? Seven? He's now seven. I was going to say five. Y'all being a parent's weird. Um, but as he told me, actually, when we, when we kind of made that switch back when he was six to looking ahead uh, to the upcoming week uh, sermon text, when we kind of made that switch in our small group, our kids are part of our small group and we ask questions about the text and read it through. So we do it as a family and then we gather together as a small group and talk about it. And then we're here on a Sunday and we hear it again. Teo told me like back in November, he said, hey dad, are we gonna keep doing that thing where we talk about it as a family and then talk about it as a small group and then it's the same text for the Sunday? And I said, yep, that's what we're doing, Bubba. He said, good. He said, because... I never understood what was happening when whoever it was that was preaching. And now I've heard the text like two or three times before I get there and it, I kind of understand what's happening. And I was like, praise the Lord. Uh, my little six-year-old can kind of understand what's going on. Now he's, now he's seven, but praise God. Uh, so that's one of the things. Secondly, I would encourage you, invest in a good set of commentaries uh, or blueletterbible.org, also a great place to start. Third, talk and pray with friends uh, about the sermon after the gathering. Uh, fourth, listen to and act on the sermon throughout the week. Uh, five, develop the habit of addressing any questions about the text that you might have. And then six, try to create humility. So as you dig into God's word, listening for his voice, um, we're gonna see lots of many wonderful treasures um, but as you grow, my encouragement to you is that you would not become a professional sermon listener. This is someone who's always listening, but never hearing and never learning. You ever had this experience? You can hear something, but actually you're not a learner of that thing. You don't know that thing. And I wanted to encourage us, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, to beware of false knowledge that puffs up. Uh, Colossians 2, 18 is that same warning as well. Be careful of strife and dissension. And really strive to approach one another with charity on things that scripture allows disagreements upon. You know, we don't need to agree upon everything in order to be a part of a local church together. And if we did, we would be a very strange cult. You know what I mean? So we want to agree on the things of first importance. Uh, and we want to allow freedom on various other things. And as that, as a church, we want to strive to mortify or kill any tendencies toward pride or condemnation of others and critical nitpicking. That's why I loved actually in Chris's sermon earlier today uh, when we were like, don't be a punk about it. Uh, like, you now know what John 10.10 10 says. But that doesn't mean you have to go on a crusade of correcting everyone anytime they say John 10.10 10 in a weird way. Your, your little rock in their shoe could just be, have you ever read kind of John 10.10 10, like around contact? Have you ever thought about who is the thief really? And just left that with them and then walked away. <laughs> yeah, that's a... That's a great way for you as well to help disciple someone, put a little rock in their shoe. Maybe that doesn't mean what you think of me. I don't know, just look. It's a great way for you to be not nitpicky, uh, critically nitpicky, uh, but rather being able to learn how to listen expositionally, not to be overly critical, but instead striving to find other ways to build one another up in love. More importantly, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought because we are still learning, every single one of us. It doesn't matter if you're 
seven like my son, or if you're 67, all of us are still learning God's word bit by bit, learning how to become better listeners, better lovers of God's word. And over time, the goal is that we will grow in Christ-likeness, right? That, that who, you, who you are now versus who you will be is not who you will be by the grace of God, right? But yet also, you aren't who you once were praise God. You've been growing in your understanding of God's word over time, and you will, by God's grace, continue to do so. And so I just want to encourage us, as 1 Peter 5, 6 says, to humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So uh, I want to just pray and ask God to help do that work in us, and then we'll have a quick financial update, uh, a couple of other things, and then what we'd love to do is just open the floor for ways that we can be praying for one another, uh, and then we pray for one another. Uh, so let's pray and ask God to help us become better expositional listeners uh, and then uh, hear a couple of little brief updates. So Father, I, I pray that you would continue to bless our church in this way. God, that you would make us expositional listeners, that you would increase our affection for hearing and applying your word into our lives. I pray that we would see Jesus in every text, and that we would grow in humility and love towards one another as we seek to honor you, as we partner together in making Jesus known. We need your help to do that, and we ask all that in Christ's name, amen. Um, one of the things we also do during our members' meetings is just give a quick financial update. So I'm going to do that real briefly at this time. Um, by the way, if, if you haven't seen uh, our budget for this, this year, um, you can let me know. I can send it over to you. Um, or we can just access, we can give you access uh, to, a, to a document online. I can just send it over to you. So let me know. Um, but one of the things that we do kind of in all of our meetings is let us know kind of where we're at kind of financially. Um, so as we look into, um, if you, I don't know if you remember this from our AGM as we prep for this, uh, this, this upcoming year, um, our budget this year is a bit higher than it was last year. Uh, and there's two reasons for that. One, our uh, building costs here went up by about $500 a month or so. Um, so we're spending anywhere from $1,700 to $2,200. Roughly per month, we rent kind of by the hour, so it, it vacillates depending on band practice and youth and things like that. Uh, that's approximately uh, how much we pay um, every month now, whereas uh, it was about $500 or so cheaper uh, last year. Uh, and then as well, um, Chris Wold is now officially has a work permit and can work. Praise the sovereign Lord. Uh, and so he actually, uh, along with myself, um, so he's actually raising all of his uh, support. Um, and so adding that kind of salary into our budget makes our budget look a bit bigger uh, than it would be really if we were a church uh, of our size who wouldn't be able to bring on uh, someone else uh, pastorally. And so um, as we're looking at last year's, um, so last year kind of in January and then in February, January last year, uh, the tithes and offerings from our church were around, I'm going to give you an exact number, it's not around anything, uh, $15,606.23. Um, and then in February was 12368 So it was uh, 15, about 15 15.6, and then 12.4 for last year. Uh, this year, uh, I think recessional things uh, I think as well, maybe not knowing the need of things. Uh, this year, we are at 11.6 and 11.1. I mean, February's not over, but so far that's where we're at right now. So it went from 15.6 in 23 to 11.6, uh, 12.3 to 11.1. 
Uh, and so with that, we uh, went from about 61% of our budget last year to this year in January, seeing about 40%, uh, and then 48 before to 38.6 this year. Um, thankfully, uh, by God's great kindness, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Chris's income, as far as like raising money in the States, uh, has helped come in to cover like, I mean, all of his costs that are associated with him being on staff. Uh, and then as well, a number of, uh, the donors that help, uh, provide for my salary have come in a whole whack, a whole whack that comes in at the end of the year. Uh, if you can imagine, uh, end of the year tax time. Uh, so a lot of like my donors in the States who give uh, for my salary, which is ends up being about 60% of my salary, 60 to 65% of my salary comes from donors in the States. Um, and so with that kind of added in, um, we as a church are kind of at this moment uh, where, we are own, where we're at 95.8% or so. Of, uh, of what we've needed for January and February. So by God's great kindness. Uh, you also might be wondering, what about the other 5% uh, or 4% or whatever? Um, it's not as if we spend a whole lot of money that we don't have. So if money doesn't come in for things, we just don't spend it because uh, we don't have it. Uh, so um, we, we strive though uh, in all of those things um, to be above board on everything. So if there's ever any questions as well, uh, if you wanna know even where we spend money or what that looks like, um, Eleanor actually helps oversee our finance team along with Teresa. So if there's ever any questions on anything, or you want to see or know anything, um, you can ask any, either of them um, to help see any of our budget or what we're spending money on or those kind of things. Um, but I just want to let you know where we were so that you know that we're a little bit behind where we were last year financially. Now, we also sent out a church plan uh, last year uh, and uh, you know, have seen the Lord uh, as well take other faithful brothers and sisters to other wonderful churches around us. So part of that is also just uh, the essence of being a church that loves to equip and send folks. Uh, and so um, during the next couple of months, what we'd love to encourage you and challenge you to do is to find ways where you can also join with us in, if you haven't been, uh, in giving both uh, sacrificially, but also voluntarily and cheerfully. Uh, and so we'd love for you to join with us uh, as we're starting uh, into this next year. And now one of the reasons why I wanna encourage you in that is right now we're meeting here at Willow Lake. Um, and this is a space to meet. I was gonna say a wonderful space to meet. There's wonderful things about it. Uh, one, of the th one of the things that's not wonderful about it is that we meet at one o'clock on a Sunday. Uh, that's not a great time, uh, especially if you think culturally in the life of Manitoba, when do people assume you go to church? Sunday morning, uh, and here we are, random. They're like, at one o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, that's weird. Uh, and so one of our aims is that we would actually kind of culturally be able to be at a place where we could meet on a Sunday morning. Um, however, where we're at right now with this building, that's kind of not possible. And so if we're looking into the future, so this is kind of like, uh, for some of you, you're here now. For some of you, you were there. But you remember the early days of being married when you're, you're renting somewhere, and you're like, man, one day we'd love to be at a place where we can actually own something somewhere. Uh, that's kind of where we're at as a church. So we're three and a half years old, but somehow this little toddler that can run around and still maybe in a diaper uh, is at a place where we're like, hey, let's maybe consider what does it look like when we move out one day uh, and be able to have our own space. And so 
part of that is also part of our financial planning as a ministry. So as we're able to then see more uh, resources come in, then the bank looks at us and says, oh, well, you actually could maybe have a long-term lease somewhere uh, or be able to like get a mortgage or be able to save enough money to where you don't have to get a mortgage or those kinds of things. Um, and so just as we're looking kind of into the future and some of the things we've been praying for, uh, the Lord would maybe do in the upcoming years to where we could have a building that we could use kind of whenever we want to, maybe to have a school at, uh, maybe to use for uh, future equipping and training of uh, pastors and church planters uh, as an opportunity as well to have various groups and classes be able to meet there, maybe even as a benefit to a church like uh, Miller who might need like another location to meet somewhere or might wanna have a class or a training session with the Association of Biblical Counselors or you know something like that, that we'd have a space where we'd say, hey, you wanna use it? Go for it, praise God, use this space uh, in ways that honor and glorify him. And so that's some of the stuff that we're just looking at that we'd love for you to be praying for uh, and then just where we're kind of looking at you know the next 5, 10, 20, 30 so years into the future. Uh, so one of our aims, as Chris said, is kind of help to direct us. Of like, where are we going long-term? Uh, so this is where we'd like to go long-term uh, if the Lord would allow. And so uh, just as we're kind of building a place that, that by God's grace would be helpful for not only our kids, but our grandkids and great-grandkids uh, as kind of a gospel bastion uh, in Winnipeg. So just so you know those. Um, a number of other things I wanted to just really quickly let you know about um, is in May, Katrina, who's helping oversee Trails Kids in the moment, is gonna be having a baby, uh, which is awesome. That also means for about three months, uh, we're gonna need some folks actually to help step up and help take care of some Trails Kids stuff while she is trying to transition into having two children at home. Uh, so we're looking uh, for some additional help. Uh, if that might be something that you'd say, hey, I can help um, facilitate, make sure that we have enough volunteers in spaces. It's not asking you to help train and equip a whole bunch of leaders. Uh, it's to help you try to help find a space where you can serve for maybe a shorter kind of time period uh, to help out in that ministry, um, then I would love to connect with you and find out uh, how you can help during that mat leave for her as we need some volunteers there. Uh, another need that we have is uh, if you're interested in being a part of our finance team, um, we're needing another person or two who's interested in joining along with that and helping serve in that capacity. Uh, and then as we look at deacons as a church, uh, one of the things that we're hoping and praying for is that in the next season, uh, that God might provide someone who steps into a role of a deacon of member care. Uh, so a deacon of member care would be someone who would want to help oversee and make sure that if they know of someone struggling in our church ministry or uh, helping develop a, a care list for us as a group and ensuring that uh, everyone is kind of pastored and shepherded well by small group leaders or having some of our pastors help with various things. Um, but just to be someone who's kind of like a point person for ensuring that uh, our member care is going well and that people are taken care of, they're loved and supported as they walk through uh, as they walk through surgeries, as they walk through babies being born, as they walk through losing parents, as we walk through all of these things as a ministry, we don't want people to fall through the cracks. Uh, and so we want to help develop small group leaders, but also a deacon of member care to help oversee some of that. And so if that might be something you're interested in doing, uh, let us know. We'd love to have you interested, uh, people interested in that to chat through, um, as well as a team that would be like a member care team that would kind of be overseen by the deacon of member care. So if that's something you'd be interested in, we'd love to chat with you. 
Uh, and then as well, uh, in that vein, um, one of the things that we voted on in November uh, was the office of deacon. Uh, and so the next thing for us to see and do as a ministry is then to begin bringing on more deacons as a, as a church. And so uh, if you have not read this book, Deacons, it's appropriately titled, uh, to know what is a deacon and what is not a deacon. Uh, this is actually really helpful for us collectively because we come from a bunch of different church backgrounds for us to all understand what do we mean when we say deacon? What is a deacon? What does a deacon do? What is a deacon responsible for? Is a deacon on some deacon board? Short answer is no. Um, but, but what is a deacon? What does it mean to be a servant of the church? What does that look like? Uh, so this would be a really helpful book. Um, also, Matt and I did a podcast, a different podcast actually on the office and role of deacon. That would be really helpful for you to listen to. Um, and so one of the things that, um, that we wanted to bring before you as well with that in the vein of deacons uh, is that Annabelle... Hello. Sorry, I couldn't find you for a moment. I should assume you're sitting next to your husband. Um, So Annabelle uh, actually has been serving in a role where she's actually been uh, kind of like a proto- proto uh, deacon of women's discipleship over the last... yeah, a year. I was going to say nine months to, I don't know, a long time. Uh, and in that, uh, as we've kind of been talking about recognizing who God is raising up into these various roles, uh, it's been one thing that we've noticed in this sister uh, that she is already consistently and faithfully living this out as a deacon of women's discipleship, helping disciple our women's discipleship leaders and uh, various other ministries within the life of our church. And so um, one of the things that we would love to do is to be able to recognize her in that. Now, we as elders cannot just recognize her in that willy-nilly. We can't just say, we'd love for this. Yay, it's done. Um, Rather, what we were, are encouraging you as our members to do is to read through this book uh, and study 1 Timothy chapter three. Uh, Listen to those podcasts. And then what we'd love for you to do is actually to just grill Annabelle. Just ask her lots of questions, get to know her. Um, Look at the qualifications and ask people around her that know her. Ask Chris questions about Annabelle. Hey, do you see in Annabelle this quality? How do you see this playing out in her life? Ask questions about things going on in their marriage, in their life, in their world. Uh, And and then if there's any kind of yellow or red flags that you see kind of pop up of like, "Uh, it says this, and I don't think that this is a character quality that she possesses. Come and talk to us. Uh, We as pastors would love to know that um, and be able to help dispel things or actually bring clarity into some of those things. Um, And so, but really at the end of the day, this is our responsibility as members to help vet this. And so we will not be voting on individual deacons when they come, but a huge part of what we do is being able to assess people's life and pray into that and ask the Lord, are there ways that she is or is not? God, help me see this. Um, And so we ask for this kind of two-month period, so between now and April, uh, really for us as a congregation to do our due diligence as members to assess her life, to see, does she have these character qualities that are laid out? Uh, We believe that she does. That's why we are bringing her before you and saying, this sister we think is doing this wonderfully. Do you see that as well? Uh, And if you say uh, heartily, yes and amen, then we say, praise the sovereign Lord. Uh, And uh, and then we can be able to just kind of formally recognize her in that role. Uh, And then the second thing I wanna bring before you uh, is that we constantly have kind of a list of guys that Matt and I are praying through uh, in uh, elder development. 
Now, one of those brothers, which will be no surprise to you, is a young man named Christopher Wold. Uh, so Chris uh, has been with us for a, almost two years. In May, it'll be two years. Uh, and so one of the things that we've been assessing kind of in his life and, and walking through a lot of 1 Timothy 3 uh, and kind of praying just pastorally, Matt and I, um, way before Nino left was, is the Lord calling Chris into this role as well? There were a lot of reasons why we were unsure for a while. One was, is he gonna get a work permit? Uh, or at any moment, could he just ship off and leave. It's like we welcome him as, an, as one of our elders and then, oh, hey, goodbye. I'm like, oh, that was the fastest elder we ever had. Uh, kind of like, kind of like, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, now lives in Calgary. They're having a baby in May. Cayman. Cayman was the shortest member we ever had at the church. Cayman got welcomed in as a member and then we sent him right out to Calgary. Uh, and so we didn't want that to happen with Chris. Like, hey, welcome, oh good, now you're gone. Uh, and so, uh, so a lot of things that we were kind of waiting on, it was more just like life stage with this brother uh, to see if the Lord would actually leave him in Canada for a set amount of time or not. Uh, and now we're fairly confident he's not just gonna disappear tomorrow. Whew, praise God, uh, praise God. And so... Uh, and so what we've seen, uh, and many of you have been a benefit of in his life, is seeing his role both as a teacher of God's word, but also as a man of great character. And so what we'd actually encourage you to do is to pick up this book, Church Elders, and to read through this uh, to see, does he match this as well? Also, we have a couple of sermons in our archive from 1 Timothy 3 that talk about what is an elder and what are the qualifications of an elder. Also, he did a great job explaining what is an elder today. You can look at some of those character qualities. Uh, and the same thing with him. So between now and... April, uh, spend some time grilling him and asking him if there's certain theological questions. Uh, also ask Annabelle about him. Say, Annabelle, how does he deal with this? What is going on here? How does this play out in your marriage? Ask lots of great questions. And the great thing actually about both of them as being our only people in this moment that we're putting before you is it's very easy for you because you could just have them over for supper and just grill both of them at the same moment. Uh, pretty great. Uh, and uh, so we just put them before you and then uh, feel free to chat with us. And then uh, as we're kind of praying and assessing that as well for April, um, we'll do the exact same thing. So as a ministry, we don't vote on every elder coming in or every deacon, but what we do really wanna hear sincerely is all of our members. Like, do we see this in their life? Uh, now, does it mean that, for example, uh, any one of us is perfect at all of these things? Oh, for goodness sakes, no. If you read 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 5 and Titus chapter 1 and hold my life up to it, I look really great on vacation. Like that I can do all, oh, it's just wonderful. Like vacation Aaron is the best. Aaron under a lot of stress and pressure when things are terrible, lots of sin comes out very quickly. So it's not a litmus test of are we a Christian or not. In fact, Jesus is the only one who perfectly fulfills 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 5 or Titus 1. And yet, as you mentioned today, as we're looking and examining do we see the heart of a faithful shepherd? And if so, then we wanna affirm what God is doing in his life. And that's why also as a church, we don't rush very quickly into making anyone an elder. It's a very slow thing. Um, we don't wanna to try to be too slow, but we don't wanna to be too quick as we see in God's word, not to be too hasty on laying on hands. Uh, but we do want to faithfully do that as a ministry. And so uh, feel free to read this book, listen to those podcasts, assess this brother and this sister's life. How do they fit in as, as a deacon and as an elder? And, and then feel free to chat with us and process through uh, any of those things that you might see in their life that could be things for us to maybe pause and have concern over. Or like, oh man, yes and amen, we, we assess this in their life. 
Um, other than that, uh, that's all the kind of nuts and bolts of things I have for you. Um, but what I'd love to do is now just open the floor uh, for anyone that has any prayer requests of anything kind of going on in their life. Um, and then what we'd love to do is just have someone right around you even just lay hands on you and pray for that thing happening in your world. Um, so I'm going to officially turn this thing off.